0: Welcome to the weekly teaching podcast of the Chapel at Pasadena. Our desire is to reflect the grace and truth of Jesus Christ to Los Angeles and the world, and one way we do this is by sharing God's Word through our weekly sermons. Here is today's message. Before I have you stand and read, and and as I read the scriptures, and Uh, One of the gifts I happen to have is I can read fairly quickly, and it's good because we've got quite a passage to read this morning. It's in your bulletin, your e-bulletin, or if you're online, you can go to the front page of our website and click on bulletin, and you'll get it there too. We're going to read from Acts 22.22 through Acts 23.11. But before I do that, I feel like compelled to give you a review. If you remember from last week, Paul was attacked by a mob. Uh, He is rescued in the heart of Jerusalem by a Roman guard. He then convinces this Roman tribune to allow him to speak to the crowd. And then Paul gets the crowd's attention, but sends them again into a tizzy when he concludes his speech to the mob, saying, God told him the Jews won't listen, so he needs to go to the Gentiles. And so it's right there that we pick up. rest of the story. So if you're willing and able, would you please stand with me? And we're going to read our passage today. A reading from Acts chapter 22 verses 22, uh, Acts chapter 22 verse 22 through Acts chapter 23 verse 11. Up to this word they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, what are you about to do? For this, is, this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, you are a Roman citizen? And he said, Yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, But I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council meet. And he brought Paul down and set him before them. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest, Ananias, commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law, and yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? Those who stood by said, Would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it is written, You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now the, when Paul perceived that one part of, were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers! Brothers! I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope of the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, no angel, no spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply, We find nothing wrong in this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. In case you didn't get the speed reading review, let me go ahead and help out there. The guards planned to flog Paul. The common, some commentaries, some scholars think that Paul was getting flogged, not just for info, because, but because they were upset. Uh, the, the tribune was upset that Paul was given an opportunity to speak to the crowd and he riled them up again. So the guards attempt to get this information, but in doing so, they almost violate his rights. A Roman citizen was uh, allowed to uh, allow to have a public hearing before any application of punishment. It would be akin to what would happen if you and I were arrested and we weren't read uh, read our Miranda rights. So in this particular case, they realize Paul's a Roman citizen. And for a variety of reasons, they don't want to deal with this anymore. They realize they've gotten themselves into a bit of a pickle uh, because he is a citizen. And so they do something that the that Jesus had to deal with with regards to Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate said, I don't want to deal with this, so I'm going to kick this to the Jewish council for varying reasons. Paul's declaration of innocence before this Jewish council uh, was met with a fist to the mouth at the order of the high priest. In response, he calls the high priest a whitewashed wall. This phrase, too, is reminiscent of something Jesus said about the Pharisees' hypocrisy. In Matthew 23:27, Jesus called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. But it's much closer to what the prophet Ezekiel said in Ezekiel 13, 10 through 12, where he said they built a flimsy wall and covered it in whitewash. In both of these cases, the heart of the accusation, the judgment is that people act religious on the outside, but in their heart of hearts, their hearts are far from God and they are actually evil. Paul then experiences what some people would refer to as a moment of clarity or a guiding of the Spirit, but it's actually as well akin to something that Jesus promised his disciples, that when they got before people of power not to worry about what they were going to say, but the Holy Spirit would move. And so in verse 6 it says that, Paul had this moment where he understood, he perceived what was going on. In the midst of all this chaos, he, he discerns this council is made up of people who believe like I do. I'm a Pharisee, and I believe in the resurrection of the dead, and the afterlife, and angels, and a group of people over here that don't believe in any of those things he knew from his childhood that the pharisees disliked the sadducees theology almost as much as they disliked this merry band that paul was associated with this christian group and so paul does what has become an axiom in culture but is actually finds its origin in the words of jesus he divides this house against itself jesus was accused of being demonic he responded by saying you can't divide a house. It won't stand. How could I be from Satan and cast out Satan? Well, in this case, Paul puts that principle to the tests and screams out, I'm a Pharisee, effectively. I'm being put on trial for what you all believe, and then they turned on each other. So Paul has this moment of Holy Spirit wisdom. They begin to turn on each other. There's this great fear that he's going to be hurt again, so they take him into the prison. And Paul, at this moment of, it's got to be really depressing. He has had a tough day by anyone's standards. He has been beaten multiple times. He's been roughed around and now is chained and, and pulled apart virtually in culture. Uh, and, and at the same time, he's isolated and by himself. He's been attacked by his countrymen, punched in the face at the orders of the high priest, a man whom Paul had previously seen as the top figure in his faith, jailed for obeying God's commands to testify about Jesus in Jerusalem. And at this lowest of low points, in a ministry that had seen quite a few low points, what I am amazed by in verses 10 and 11 is the faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God. He comes to comfort Paul. Again, let's review verses 10 and 11 of our text. And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring them into the barracks. The following night, it says, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. In 2013, pastor and author Tim Keller, who is an influence and really an encouragement to pastors in the past two generations. Um, He's in his 70s, and he wrote a book called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. And in this was featured this quote. Suffering can refine us rather than destroy us because God himself walks with us in the fire. In 2020, right before covid he found out that he had pancreatic cancer. The news has been good thus far. The treatment appears to be working at a pretty high level, and it's going to extend his life as far as they can tell. Recently, he wrote a piece for The Atlantic and was interviewed on MSNBC about it and detailed this this article he wrote, which was entitled, Growing My Faith in the Face of Death, I Spent a Lifetime Counseling Others Before My Diagnosis, Will I be able to take my own advice? I understand this. And as I'll detail in a blog post that comes up this Tuesday on our website, we are a people conditioned to loathe pain and expunge it from our lives at any cost. And yet so often pain and suffering are the chosen means of God to get us to grow closer to him. Countless verses in the Bible say that suffering leads to times of great faithfulness and fruitfulness in our lives. And today I'd like to stare deeply at verses 10 and 11 and show two very specific manifestations of God's grace that show up when we reach the deepest, darkest moments of our lives. We study Scripture and I hopefully preach Scripture with the aim of enabling us by his grace and spirit to see Jesus in the text of Scripture. And today we get to see it very clearly because Jesus manifests himself to Paul and speaks to him with astounding clarity so Paul would be reassured. And so I have two thoughts I want to share with you this morning. And the first is when life is painful, we sense that God is near. And the second is that when life is painful, his voice we're apt to hear. Let's begin with verse 11, and when life is painful, there is a heightened sense of God being near. Now, not at first, because our, our natural reaction to pain and suffering is to cry out as the psalmists so often did and say, why God, where are you? But in verse 11, it says, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage, for as you've testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify in Rome. Paul was indwelled by the Holy Spirit. We've seen that clearly in the last couple chapters and the, really the dozen or so chapters that we've watched his ministry unfold. But when Scripture says the Lord stood by him, it's saying that that there's a special manifestation of grace that came to Paul to sustain him. When we experience dark times, at the lowest point, it's my experience that My sense of God's presence in my life is ultimately heightened. He is always with us, but he manifests himself with a special dose of grace to help us sense, feel, or have great confidence and awareness of the reality that he's present with us. In Paul's case, it may have been a vision akin to a number he'd received throughout his life, but either way, it was given so that he would know God's presence. He would know he was not alone. Paul needed this assurance because, as I said, naturally our first reaction to deep suffering is what is frequently written in the Psalms. Why, O oh Lord, do you stand far off? Wake up, O oh Lord. Why are you sleeping? How long, O oh Lord? Will you forget me forever? This is our instinctive initial response. But when the shock waves wear off, if we know the Lord, We're compelled to cling to promises like Psalm 34, 18 that says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Paul had been warned by the Holy Spirit earlier on his third missionary journey that he'd experienced all these persecutions. But regardless of us knowing that this is going to be a reality, and Jesus said in John 16, in this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. We know if we're smart. We know if we've read scripture, we know if we've experienced life at any, for any length of time, this world has its share of disappointments. All that said, we can't help but hope for different. We go, man, this is going to be a great year. I remember a number of people posting at the beginning of 2020 on their social, social media, 2020 is going to be my year. Not so much. And you had no control over it whatsoever. It's at this moment of disillusionment or forgetfulness that God comes to us to reassure us that while there's trouble in the world, we can take heart. We can know that Jesus is at the right hand of God. He is on the throne. He's been given all He's been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And instead of running away from Him, believers at that moment of getting past the initial shock, we instinctively run to Him. Holocaust survivor Corey Tinboom said. There is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. Carolyn and I have been reading Dane Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly, which incidentally we'll be studying as a church in our community groups <clears throat> this, <clears throat> excuse me, this May through July. Uh, we're going to make these books available at a discount for people who are in community groups and want to study together. But this book has really awakened my heart to the love and care of Christ. Gentle and lowly, Christ's heart for sinners and sufferers. And he says this, the deeper into weakness and suffering and testing we go, the deeper Christ's solidarity is with us. As we go down into pain and anguish, we are descending ever deeper into Christ's very heart, not away from it. We sang today there's another in the fire and listening to Kate's uh, and Lucy's beautiful voices I was touched to know that I'm not alone there is a grace when the heart is under fire another way when the walls are closing in and when I look at the space between where I used to be and this reckoning I know I will never be alone there was another in the fire standing next to me. Every so often I'll hear people who are going through the most unbelievably painful experience in life, the loss of a spouse or worse, the loss of a child. And you'll see them either at their funeral or in the week subsequent to that. And they seem to be carrying themselves with a a dignity and a grace. And I, I have often commented to Carolyn, I don't think I could do that. And here's news for you. I couldn't. And neither could you. It's only by the grace of God that people in that moment are given this special dispensation of comfort in the midst of the most deep pain. Numbers of people have told me that their most profound experiences in life have been at the bottom. Not at the zenith of their life experience. God showed up In a powerful way. When life is painful, we sense that God is near. Secondly, today, when life is painful, His voice we're apt to hear. We're just more sensitive because we're so hungry to hear the assurance and the promise of God. The Lord stood by Him and said, Take courage. This is what we need to hear at those moments. Paul had the experience of the Lord speaking directly to him. And while in my darkest night of the soul, I didn't audibly hear God speak, his holy word came alive in ways that had previously not. The main reason it hadn't was because I was moving so fast through life and so loudly in my experience that I was unable to hear God's voice very clearly at all. On other occasions, I've spoken of what happens when you drive a car so hard, running the engine at 8,000 revolutions per minute, in the red, as they say. You turn your stereo up really loud, all the way to 11, and it gets impossible to hear anything outside of your experience in the car. Your engine could be telling you, there's trouble here, we're clinking, we're clunking, You can't hear it when you're moving that fast. And so for some of us, never willing to pull into the driveway and let the car idle and listen for a bit, quiet ourselves, proverbially our car breaks down and we end up on the side of the road. And then a rescue has to take place. People have to come and literally, let alone figuratively, tow us to safety so we can rebuild and re- This is what happened to me. I wasn't listening to God. I was moving through life doing Christian ministry for all, I mean, you know, you think in that, that happens in that situation? Yes. When you forget about God's presence in your life and you ignore him prompting you in various ways, sometimes it takes an engine failure and an abandonment on the side of the road before you'll finally go, okay, I surrender, Lord. I will listen to you. This is certainly true in our spiritual life. And pain is a natural teacher if we'll listen. It compels us to listen. It compels us to seek God for genuine comfort. In those moments of deep pain, perhaps you know, no idol will do. Sex, money, power, buying stuff, none of that comforts the soul. You are desperate to hear your creator say, I've got things. Yes, you may have made some serious errors here, but I love you and I will provide for you and your future is safe with me. We'll work through this together. You are not alone. Israel had had multiple experiences of abandoning God. In one such experience, the prophet Elijah came to help. In 1 Kings chapter 19, we we have this story where the prophet Elijah had previously had an amazing experience of God's power demonstrated, and he was able to put to death all of the false prophets of Baal. And and this was a big victory in his war against Queen Jezebel. But when she found out about it, she issued a, a proclamation and told him, you are a dead man within 24 hours. And instead of remembering all that God had done, like many of us, Elijah thought, I'm going to die. I'm scared. I'm afraid. And he fled a day's journey into the wilderness. Imagine running into the, the Mojave Desert. Just go. You know, they'll never find me out here. And he gotten under a tree to get a little shade and said these words to God, I wish I could just die. Just take my life. I don't know if you've ever been there where you feel like, in my suffering, I just don't want to suffer anymore. Would you end this for me? God meets him there, but tells him something interesting. He needed to hear from the Lord. His mind and his heart had been stirred by his fear, and in that condition, you know, it's impossible to hear the Lord. He needed to slow down so he could understand the voice of God, comprehend the voice of God. So God reaches out, In the middle of this mess, a messenger tells him that God intends to speak. And we're going to pick up here. The text is available in your bulletin. 1 Kings 19, verses 11 through 13. And this is what the messenger of God told Elijah. Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. For most of us, and I, I'm i in your camp, for most of us, we're just moving too fast to hear the Lord speak to us. It's the The noise crowds out that still, small voice that speaks to us through his word sometimes manifests itself by the power of his spirit. Like Elijah, our fears force us to humble ourselves before the Lord. God's word says, confidently over and over again that god opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble so when you find yourself in this moment of complete humility maybe even not by your own choice rest assured the lord is present and he wants to speak to your heart our suffering has the net effect of reminding us who we are and who god is It's there where we recognize we're not strong enough to control the winds and the waves and the viruses of our lives. Tim Keller, in his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, said this, when pain and suffering come upon us, we finally see not only that we are not in control of our lives, but that we never were. See, I think some of us suffer from the, uh, the... delusion that when things are going well we've got it all under control we don't we're we're kidding ourselves God's graciously enabling all of those things to line up and there's peace in that there's peace in that humility that something might go wrong with business with relationships with children but when you don't get trapped into this place where you think you have to control it all but you are resting in God's sovereign control over it all when those curveballs come, your, your first reaction might be, oh, God, why? But then you, you now can lean into his presence and the listening to his voice. He wants to bring us peace. And in the midst of great pain, he wants to assure us of his ongoing presence and speak to our hearts and settle our minds. When life is painful, we sense God is near. And when life is painful, his voice we're apt to hear one final thought perhaps you're not suffering in fact you may be so fortunate that you rarely have many problems at all yet when you'd be honest you'd say that your spiritual life is sluggish maybe sluggish at best or that you rarely sense that God is near, or have any expectation that His voice you'd be able to hear. You don't have to go and create a crisis or pursue suffering to bring about a sense of God's loving presence. Earlier, we quoted from the Psalms that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. So I have a suggestion for you based on that verse get close to somebody who's brokenhearted. That's where the Lord is. Maybe he wants you to be that manifestation of his grace in someone else's life. And you'll experience that in a new way. Start being a light in someone's darkness. If you want to be where the Lord is, start doing for the proverbial least of these. Because you'll be doing it for him. Be a proactive servant of those who are brokenhearted, And I'm confident that you'll bump into the Lord's presence there. Let's pray to that end this morning, shall Thank you for listening to the weekly teaching podcast of the Chapel at Pasadena. We are a church on a mission to revive believers, reach friends, and reflect Christ. If you would like more information about our church, visit www.chapelpasadena.com or email us at info at